Um, we are in a sermon series right now in the book of Ephesians, and uh, this morning we're going to keep on going through this, this uh, book of the Bible that is just uh, such an important book for the church. Uh, there was, there's a few prayers that Jesus prayed that have been recorded in scriptures. Not a lot of his prayers were recorded, but there were a few that were recorded. Uh, probably the most well-known is the Lord's Prayer, uh, Our Father which art in heaven, that whole prayer. And then uh, the, the, another prayer that's pretty well known is the prayer that he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane just before he gets ready to go to the cross. Jesus is there and he's asking his father to, uh, is there asking if there's any other way to uh, do the job that he's, he, his father in heaven has for him. But of all the prayers that Jesus prayed, if there's one that you could say was, was most meant for you and for me, it's probably his prayer in the book of John, found in John chapter 17. It's his longest prayer recorded. In this prayer uh, that he prays just uh, actually during the Last Supper, he prays uh, for a number of different things. He prays for his 12 disciples, first of all, that they would be protected and that they would, just, uh, that they would be one as he and his Father are one. Then he prays for all believers, uh, past, present, future. He prays for um, us in this room. And uh, there are numbers of things that he covers in this prayer, but one of the things that, that are, is really important to him, that he really uh, focuses on, is this idea of oneness, of being un- united. He, in his prayer, he says things like, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. A little bit later on, he, he prays, I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them, even as you have loved me. This is the last prayer that Jesus would pray before he was crucified. There's some of his last uh, words that are recorded in Scripture before he left this earth, which would tell us that these words were some of his, his most important words that, that he, he spoke. This idea of oneness, unity is a very important matter to Jesus. Skip ahead about 50 years. Jesus has left the, the, the earth. The newly established church that, that he is, is building is growing. And again, we see this theme of unity um, come up over and over again. Um, in this series that we're doing on Ephesians, where we're looking at what it means to uh, who we are in Christ, and we're looking at uh, what it means to become a church that's bringing the kingdom of God, um, we're in chapter 4, and as we kind of move through the last three chapters of the book, this theme of oneness is it's kind of everywhere. It kind of is a, a theme that sort of is, is foundational. But this morning we're in chapter 4, verse 3, where the Apostle Paul, he writes these words. He says, make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. And then listen to this, this theme of unity. For there is one body, one Spirit. Just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future, there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all, in all, and living through all. Unity. It matters a ton to God. Now the fact that that being united in this theme of unity is important to God is actually not groundbreaking news in the life of the church. Uh, Historically, the church has been 
has been all about unity as far as this focus and going, okay, this is something that we need to go after because Jesus prayed this in his last prayer on earth. The problem is that the church has not done a great job of achieving it. And uh, we're going to be looking at a few things uh, when it comes to unity this morning. But the first thing uh, that we need to know this morning is that one of the reasons that the church has not done a great job of achieving unity is because uh, unity has been misunderstood. It's been misunderstood. So I've, I've been around the church for a long time, and the first church that I was on staff in was about, uh, it was a church of one in, of about 15 churches in the city that I was, I was in. And unity back in the day meant that five or six of these 15 churches would get together once a week or once a year, and we'd have uh, a unity service, and because everybody was coming together, we, we would call them joint services. Now, back in the day, the title joint service worked, but we're not going to be calling anything a joint service in the Pacific Northwest today because, you know, people might come together, but it won't be for the right reasons. They'll be maybe hoping to hotbox the church or, or it, there'll be some unity, but a different kind of unity, I guess. But unity back in the day was everybody coming together and they would make casual conversation in the foyer with people that they would maybe see again a year later. Then they would sing a bunch of songs that, that half the people wouldn't know, and then some guy would get up and preach and celebrate the unity that, that we had. Now, there is nothing wrong with any of that. There is actually a form and a, a bit of a taste of unity in that, but understand that is, is, is not what Jesus is getting at when he's talking about unity and when he's asking his heavenly father for it. If getting together with a bunch of random people for an event is unity, then we've set the bar really, really low, whereas Jesus actually sets the bar really, really high. He prays that we would be one just as him and his Father are one. And the, the unity that Jesus prayed for and that the, the New Testament describes is actually a radical, radical idea. It runs completely countercultural to how the world lives and even to how much of the church lives. And something else that you need to know about unity is actually what, what unity means. Uh, unity is simply, it's the condition of being united as one. Being united as one. So uh, we've, we've all seen the football team that has unity, where that team is united as one. They have the same heart. They have the same focus. They, they want to win the championship, and they're all together on how they're going to do that. And there's a unity, and we've, we've all seen a team that has that, and, be, and, and they end up winning the Super Bowl or something. We've also seen the opposite, where you don't have unity, where you don't have people united as one, and that football team is divided. You have different people on the team who have a different understanding and idea of how the coaches should be coaching the team, and they're, they're kind of looking out for self rather than the, the, the team. Um, without naming any names this morning, you, you have guys on the sidelines squabbling and getting into fights with the coaches, and there's no unity. No unity. No Super Bowls. And so when those guys end up getting traded during the offseason, I'm kind of going, there's the door. Don't let it hit you on the way out. Because no unity, no wins. That's, that's unity when there's, there's that oneness. You also see it sometimes in a marriage. A husband and wife, they're just getting closer and closer together as they share the same vision and they share the same values of their home. They love one another. Again, the opposite is when a husband and wife are, are divided. They don't trust each other. They're fighting all the time. They can't even agree on, on the silliest things, like does the toilet paper go 
inside or outside. By the way, if you're wondering, the correct way is the outside of the row. I knew I'd get a couple amens on that one. Unity is a church, a church that has one heart and one mind. People love one another. They're together. And if you, had, if you were around here at all yesterday, you actually got to see a beautiful picture of unity. There's about 10 to 12 of us that are on this, this missions team, and there was just this sense of, okay, we have a goal. We're trying to raise these funds so that we can go on this missions trip to Camelot, Mexico, and, and partner with this organization called Open Arms, and we're together, we're growing together. And so yesterday, if you came down here, you're like, is this a garage sale or a party going on here? I mean, there was cheering, there was laughter, there was, it was just a great, great time because there was this, this unity. Unity is the condition of being united as one. Something else to know about unity, like we've already said, unity matters to God. It's actually been important to him ever since the beginning of time. So you see God in, in the Garden of Eden, he, he creates Adam and Eve, and then what, what does the Bible say? It talks about a man leaving his father and mother and being united as one. They come together, they're united. Um, and then you have the focus that Jesus put on this, that we just read, read in John 17, and then the writers of the New Testament, it's all, all over the New Testament, this idea of unity, like-mindedness, one. It's always been important to God. Well, why is that? Why does unity matter so much to God? One of the reasons is because unity is actually a reflection of God's character and who God is. So we just read in Ephesians 4 uh, where it says, uh, it talks about God being one spirit, one Lord, one God and Father of all. This is a beautiful picture of Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We call the Trinity. They're, they're united as one. They share the same goal to bring glory to their name. They share the same beliefs. They have the same love for you and me. They have a sh the, the same shared understanding of what their unique roles are. It, they, it's just perfect unity. You will never, ever find a better, more clear picture of what unity is than the unity between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They're so close, so one, that you often have a hard time telling them, apart. And, and unity reflects who God is. Another reason it matters to God is that unity is one of the purposes of God in history. So way back in Ephesians 1, several weeks ago, we read uh, how God's purpose is to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. It's one of his purposes in history. Another reason it's important is because unity is necessary for any group of people to achieve its mission. Unity is absolutely critical your coach in this room, you know that, that team has to be united. If they're not, they're not going to accomplish the mission to win games and to win championships. Um, if you're a, a husband and, and wife in this room, you've actually been given a couple missions by God. One of those missions is to be fruitful and multiply. Go make babies, uh, go and, and, and multiply and bring new life. Now, I'm assuming most of you in the room know how that happens, but if you don't, just a little tip. It doesn't happen by a stork dropping a baby on the front porch. It takes unity, a coming together, and that's as much detail as we'll go into this morning. But there's, unity is required. Another mission that God gives a man and a wife is to reflect the love of Jesus, and we'll read about this when we get into Ephesians chapter 5 in a few weeks, 
but a sneak peek. It talks a lot in that verse about, uh, or that chapter, about husbands loving their wives as, as, as Christ loves the church. It talks about how marriage is this picture of the mystery of Christ and his, his bride, the church. Unity is necessary, though, for any group of people to achieve their mission. And then you have the church. We've been given a mission to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. And, and Jesus knew that this would not be accomplished if we were just flying solo. It's an impossible task to accomplish um, flying solo. And he knew it would take unity because disciples are made in the context of loving, caring community. And so Jesus prays his prayer of unity so that, this is Jesus praying, that they may be brought to complete unity. And then listen to how mission is tied in with this. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Unity comes first, and then mission gets accomplished. No unity, no mission accomplished. Unity, unity matters to God. It's, it's of highest importance to him. And because of that, something else you need to know about unity is that unity is always under relentless attack. Always. It is, it is opposed. And you just have to go back to the beginning of time. God creates mankind, and they have this beautiful relationship with God. He is their Lord. They're walking with him. And then what happens? The snake, Satan comes along. He gets them to mistrust and doubt God. And the next thing you know, they fall into sin. There's division. They, they're cut off from God, cut off from this garden. And then you have the first uh, husband and wife, Adam and Eve. They are together. There's this beautiful picture of unity. Then the snake comes along. He, 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 he leads them into sin. The next thing you know, they're blaming one another. They don't trust one another. There's shame and all this other stuff that comes into the picture. It's, it's under attack. And then there's the larger human family. God's ideal has always been unity. Uh, originally, there was one language. But pride, the power of Babel, pride and sin gets in the way. Then God comes along and, and scatters all these different languages. All of a sudden, unity gets a little bit harder. And then, then you go... Uh, to the, the New Testament, and you have the early church, and there's a kind of uh, unity is being restored. You read in Acts chapter 2 how all the believers met together in one place. They shared everything they had. They worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper. They shared their meals with great joy and generosity. It's this beautiful picture of unity. But is the enemy kind of a, uh, on the sideline going, there's unity, I guess that's just the way it's going to be. No, he attacks it, and, and it's not very far into the early church where you read about uh, this couple, Ananias and Sapphira, who are selfish. They're thinking about themselves. Unity's being attacked, and then a little bit further on, you have this, this prejudice that's forming in the early church where the Greek-speaking widows are being neglected, and then you have um, just division in the life of the church. There's fighting over whether or not Gentiles um, should become Jews, and, and the unity it's being attacked. Fast forward to the day, and the attack is just as strong. Um, the enemy is still up to his old tricks, convincing us to put self above others, um, sowing distrust. He's still taking small misunderstandings, and he's turning these into massive offenses that, that, that pull people apart rather than bring them together. And because unity is always going to be under attack, unity has to be fought for. It has to be fought for. The Bible says, uh, make every effort to keep yourselves 
united in the Spirit. You have to fight for unity. You have to make every effort. You have to go after it. And I want to give you four ways this morning how you can fight for unity. And the first way is, is simply this. It's stay connected. Stay connected. Stay connected. Ephesians 4.4 4 describes us as one body. Notice how it doesn't describe us. It doesn't, it doesn't describe us, the church. It doesn't describe us as a bunch of individuals getting together a couple times a month for an event on a Sunday morning. No, it describes us as one body, a family of believers. In Romans chapter 12, it, it says this, For just as each of us has one body with many members, so I have one body, I have, uh, I have many members, I have a head, I have hands, I have elbows, I have legs, I have feet, I have, I have uh, one body, many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, we, though many, from one body, and, and listen to this last line and let it sink in because I want you to know it's an absolutely radical countercultural statement that the Apostle Paul makes in the Bible. In the Bible, he says, "And each member belongs to all the others." Have you ever thought of yourself as belonging to those in this room who who are part of the church? The Bible says, though, every member belongs to one another. That's marriage talk. That's the Bible saying, uh, I belong to my wife, she belongs to me because we're, we're one, we're, we're that connected. And the Bible says that's actually what it's supposed to be like in the church. You're, you're connected. And, and when you gave your life to Christ, you were not only given a new life in Christ, salvation, you were actually given a new family. The, the, the Bible has a name for this family, the church. This is a family uh, to love. It's a family to share life with. It's a family to be on mission with, to encourage you, to support you. But, but here's the deal. There's, there's a major problem in the church today, especially in Western culture. And that problem is, is that we don't see the life of a Christian as something that is intricately interwoven with, with and connected to a church family. Instead, in our culture in particularly, uh, many actually see Christianity as this, this kind of individual, um, self-centered religion that will hopefully help me live a better life, help me be a better husband, help me be a better wife or a better parent, or help my family just get along better in life. And, and that is just a different picture. But because of that picture, as a result, we just easily disconnect. People get too busy, don't have time or they get hurt, or they don't like a sermon series, or they don't like the worship music, or, or it just takes too much work, whatever. There's a thousand different reasons. But when we don't see it as this family, we just disconnect. And in those moments where this stuff comes up, it's, it's, it's just too easy to see church, not as a family, but as an, as an optional event. And if there's ever going to be unity, you have to stay connected. And it's about so much more than attending a, a Sunday morning service. It is about staying connected to this, this church family. It's about doing life together. It's about being in relationships with people. It's about getting to know people. It's about getting to know how God has gifted you and how God's wired you and then serving the, 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 the church body with those gifts that God ha has given you. If you want to fight for unity, you have to prioritize relationships and you have to stay connected Another way to fight for it is to develop a humble 
selfless attitude. Uh, we talked a little bit about this last week, but it's really, really hard to be united with somebody who has pride. I don't know if you've ever tried that before, but you're, you're trying to be united with someone who's just thinking about themselves. They just think that they're, they're it, they're the bomb. And so it's just, it is hard to be united with, with that kind of a person. They always think they're right. Um, they make you feel devalued because they're like, they're, they're so much more important. They take, 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 take rather than give. Life is all about them. You just cannot be united with, where pride exists that you can't have unity. One of the most well-read scriptures in the Bible on humility also happens to be one of the most powerful verses on unity. And it's found in Philippians chapter 2 where it says this, and listen to how the theme of unity, the theme of oneness, like-mindedness, is tied in with uh, humility. The Bible says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, so there's the unity, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, there's unity again, having the same love, unity again, being one in spirit and of one mind, that's unity, and, and here's the key. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vacancy, rather in humility, humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. That, that kind of heart, that kind of humble, selfless attitude, what that does is it just kind of like paves the way for there to be unity, whether we're talking in a church, whether we're talking in a marriage, whether we're talking on your, your, your high school baseball team, that is the kind of heart that paves the way for unity. Third thing is this, if you're going to fight for unity, it involves being a peacemaker. Ephesians 4.3 commands us to be uh, binding yourselves together with peace. Now, a lot of people have the wrong idea of how to make peace. They think that that means that they just got to be silent. They think that that means they just got to blend in with the status quo. Or they think that that means that they just have to agree with everybody's opinion, act like everybody else. Listen, that doesn't lead to unity. That might lead to uniformity, which is different. It's everybody looking the same, everything the same. That's different than unity. Um, church unity efforts over the years have actually been notorious for this approach to unity. So back in the 50s, you had this group of people, uh, church leaders, who decided they were going to form this thing called the World Council of Churches. And, and it was all these different denominations. You had Baptist, you had United, you had Presbyterian. You had all these different denominations coming together um, for, the, for, for, for the sake of unity. But what ended up happening is unity meant that you just... You just yeah, you completely water down the, 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 the Christian doctrine to the, the point where there's really like not even hardly any common beliefs. And it, what it has really kind of done with this organization is kind of taken the, the, the bite and the, the impact out of this, this organization. Um, unity, that, that's not what it means to be in unity. That's not what it means to, to keep the peace. Um, Jesus, if you look at the life of Jesus, um, He's a guy who you could hardly say agreed with everybody. I mean, there was times where Jesus was like getting people mad. I mean, he, he wasn't crucified for nothing. They, they were mad at him because he was in people's face. He was 
confidently, boldly speaking the truth, doing it in love. But man, he was, he was telling truth like it, like it is and, and not trying to blend in with the status quo. No, he was, he was, he, he was not making people happy um, all the time it, it, through his life. I mean, he, here's this guy, but, but he, out of all that he was doing, he was making peace. He was bringing peace, a peace that led to unity and that it brought with, with us and God. It brought peace with God, and it also made a way for um, his body, the church, to have peace. But if you want to have unity, you, you have to be a peacemaker. It involves speaking the truth, not hiding, not blending in, but speaking the truth um, with love. And the fourth thing that you have to do, if you want to be someone who fights for unity, is engage in the mission. Engage in the mission. Now, I don't know if you've ever been on a sports team, and if you're not a sports person, apologize for all the sports analogies this morning, but uh, if you've never been on, if you've ever been on a sports team and, and been injured, which I have, uh, it's, it's a different kind of place to be in. Um, this happened to me in high school. I was on a basketball team, and uh, we had a goal, like every sports team in high school, the goal of your team is to actually go out and win games, not to go out and just have fun. It's to go out and win games. Amen? Amen. All right. Okay. It's not just to have fun. It's to win games. No. <laughs> Having fun matters. Having fun matters. All you parents out here in the room. But, but the goal is to win games. It's to win championships. And as, as our team was having this goal and we're doing half decent, all of a sudden um, I'm out snowboarding and I try to do this stupid trick that was way over my head and I landed like almost upside down right on my collarbone. I shattered my collarbone and so for the basketball, I'm out for the rest of the season. Now my coach, like any good coach, told me, okay, Rich, you're out, but we need you. We need you to be on the sidelines and don't just like go home and be discouraged. You need to be there. And so here I am, I'm on the sidelines watching my team as they're out there, and yeah, I'm cheering them, I'm passing them the water bottle, and they come off, giving them high fives, all that kind of stuff, but something was different. I just didn't feel quite as united, and I don't know what it's like for guys that win like the Stanley Cup and Super Bowls and that kind of stuff if all they do all season long is sit on the sidelines, but I imagine it's just a little different than if you're part of that group of guys that's on the field, you're like grinding it out day in, day out, you're like, you're just like out there on the field. There's something, there's just a little bit different to kind of, to get, you're just not quite the same. It's a little bit out of sync. And I think sometimes that it happens a lot like that in, in the church family. And people are, rather than be engaged, they're just kind of disconnected. And I've been around the church my entire life, and something that I've seen hundreds of times, it, it works the same way on, all, it, this, I, I see this story play out over and over and over again. Someone will uh, get excited about a church, and they will just they'll, they'll show up. They'll be like, man, this place, is, it just feels right. Man, it's awesome, and all this kind of stuff. And I just feel loved and cared for, and people are just excited about Jesus, and they get plugged in, and, and pretty soon they get connected, and they make some friends, and maybe they get connected in a small group or something like that. And then next thing you know, they're going, okay, I, I, I don't want to just be, I, I, I don't want to show up. I want to actually get engaged and and so they find out what their gifts are, and they start serving, and, and they're just like full on, like full of vision, full of passion, but then for whatever reason, they disconnect from people. And usually either because of uh, the thing I hear the most is busyness, um, another thing I hear a lot is, is, is offense, um, another thing I hear is just boredom, 
the next thing that happens is they get sidelined from being engaged and being involved in serving, often because of uh, things like discouragement or because of disappointment. And then this causes them to just becoming disengaged overall. And, and eventually what happens is they, they end up leaving the church. And unity, oneness that they might have experienced at one time is gone. They go from being engaged to kind of being on, on the sideline. And when someone stays engaged in the mission of whatever it might be, marriage, your sports team, or the life of the church, when you stay engaged through not only the good times, but you stay engaged through the, the, the difficult times, I mean, every church goes through these seasons where it just feels like, man, we're trudging through mud, and it's just not, it just seems like the momentum is not there. But when you stay engaged through those, those seasons, what happens is it creates this, this unity that, 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 that builds. And when things really do start to, to roll and move, there's just this sense of togetherness that, that happens. The Bible commands us to make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit. This literally means, that, that phrase, make every effort, literally means to make haste because this is urgent has tremendous significance for the church, not only like the big church, like everybody on the planet who's a follower of Jesus, but it has significance, tremendous significance for the life of this local church, CTK Ferndale. It's huge. Unity has uh, significance for the people that, are, that don't know Jesus yet in our community. You know, how together we are actually affects the level of impact that we can have on, on our community. There is no room for individualism or rivalries or divisions or disengagement in the life of the church. And this call to make every effort to keep yourselves united is a call um, for us to focus our attention on Jesus, like we sang about earlier on, to make him our heart's number one desire. And, and it's a call to not only as we, as we to focus on him, but as we do that, to let love for him flow out into love for others and just allow that to, to bring us together united as one. And this morning, what I'd like to do as we wrap up, and I'm going to invite the worship team to come at this time, is we're going to take part in communion. And uh, you might have noticed from the, as you came in this morning, we have some communion bread and crackers at the front and bread and crackers at the back. There's a table set up in the back. And I want us this morning, though, to approach this with a bit of a different um, frame of mind. Typically, when we come together around communion, we look at it as remembering what Jesus did for us on the cross. And yes, that is a, a part of it, but there's a, there's a different part of communion that is actually just as significant and just as important. Communion is actually an expression of unity in the church. It's an expression of unity. Does it create unity, taking communion? No. But it is an expression of unity. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, it's one of the most read scripture verses in, uh, in church services when a, a pastor will get up and talk about communion. In this chapter, in 1 Corinthians 11, the context of that, which we sometimes miss, is that Paul is writing this letter to the church of Corinth because this church has been divided. They have all these divisions, they're fighting, they have they're just going all different directions. And so Paul writes this letter as kind of a gentle rebuke to say, 
hey, you need to come together. You need to love one another. You need to, uh, like 1 Corinthians 13 is in this, this, this uh, letter. You need to love as patient, kind. You need to be together as one, united. And so in this, this chapter, chapter 11, that gets read a lot in church circles during communion, it actually opens up by Paul saying, hey, there's divisions here. Um, you're thinking of, of yourselves. You're not, not thinking of one another. And then he goes on to say in, in chapter 11, and this, this is the part that we, we hear a lot in church, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And a lot of times we stop right there, but the next part is actually pretty important. It goes on to say, so then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord, that's what we have down here. We have the bread and we have the cup. It says whoever eats the, the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Now, I, churches have taken this whole piece out of context for years. In the church that I grew up in, it was always whenever the pastor got up and talked about communion, it was always, okay, if you, have put, if you haven't, if you're not a believer, if you, if you don't believe in Jesus, then I'm going to ask you not to partake in communion because we don't want you to drink in a manner unworthy of, of the Lord. That's not what that's talking about. It's actually talking about the level of unity and, 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 and love for one another that we have in the church. And, and an, an unworthy manner would be taking communion when there's division, when there's unforgiveness, when there's offense that you're harboring in your heart towards somebody else. And so it says here, um, whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. Now, when you think of the body of Christ, what, what's the body of Christ today? It's the church. We, but put our faith and trust in Jesus are the body of Christ. And what this is saying is that when there's anything, uh, when there's division in the body of Christ, that, th that's actually causing bad stuff to happen. That's causing weakness, sickness, and then some have fallen asleep. I mean, this is a serious matter in the eyes of God. And so this morning, what we're going to do is we're actually going to take communion as an expression of unity. But here's the deal. Before we do this, I'm going to ask you to take a couple moments just in your heart to say, Jesus, where is there a disunity in my heart? Where is there disunity? And maybe it's something to do, maybe it's your marriage. Maybe you showed up this morning and you and your, your, your significant other have just been like fighting and divided. It starts at the home. Maybe, maybe God's going to be asking you to make amends right here, right now, before you, you, you take communion. And, and maybe it's going, God, where, where is there disunity in my life as I'm connected to the life of my church? 
But do some soul searching this morning, and don't just flippantly take communion. Go, Lord, I want to be about not just remembering what you did on the cross. Lord, I want to be about my church family. I want to be about unity and loving one another and serving one another. So as we do this, ask Jesus, Lord, is there anything in my life that you want to change? And if, if there needs to be repentance, repent. But Lord, is there anything that, that needs to change? And as we do this together, um, it's going to be a sign of us saying, Lord, we're thankful for all you've done. And God, we want to be about unity in the body of Christ. Would you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for um, this passage of Scripture, Lord, that we read this morning. God, there is one body. God, this church, this local church, one body. You don't look at us and see a bunch of individuals. You see one body. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would help us, Lord, to... To, to be a reflection of the unity, the togetherness, the love that there is between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God, may there be a humility. May there be a love for one another. God, may there be a togetherness around the mission, this great mission, God, that you've called us to. God, I pray that you would cause that to form and to, to, to grow in the life of this church family. Lord, I pray that we would be united under the name of Jesus Christ. And Father, this morning as we take part in communion, communion I just want to thank you, Jesus, for everything that you've done for us on the cross. And God, if there's anybody here who has stuff that, Lord, they need to deal with before doing this this morning, I pray, God, that you would show them and that this morning we would, we would have uh, new life. Uh, God, just a new sense of, of, of wholeness and being united in you and united with one another. I pray all this in your name. Amen.